Welcome to this week's edition of the Seven Innings Podcast. We're going to preview the pack. We're going to have updates on the SEC opening weekend, the Big 12, the ACC, and the Big 10. We're going to discuss when will the Sooners lose. We're going to give some lefty love. And of course, we're going to shag some stats. The Seven Innings Podcast. Follow along on our lineup card at Seven Innings Podcast on all social media. I'm Michelle Smith. We have Kayla Bro, Amanda Scarborough, Jen Schroeder, Jenny Dalton Hill, and of course, our usual cast of characters behind the scene. Kim, the PR superstar, Buzz Lightyear. We got Cropper and B Chaps, who we recently found out wants to moonlight as a stage director. <laughs> so, ladies, here we go. Why don't we go ahead and jump right in? Jen, give us a little bit of a preview on the pack. I'm so excited, guys, because the Pac-12 finally kicks off this weekend, and boy, does it open up good. We've got Arizona at Washington, and Michelle, I know you have that game on ESPNU on Friday night. Um, a couple things about the Pack is they're actually going to play four-game series, but the second game on every Saturday does not count. Here's the caveat to that, is if for some reason any game on the weekend gets washed out, then that second game on Saturday does count towards the Pac-12 record. So something to think about for coaches when they're planning, especially in places like Seattle or Oregon, where they may get a little bit of rain. All right. Arizona took a tumble with Florida State over the weekend. And I mean, even with UCF guys, they dropped three games last week. They took a dump in the polls. And Washington is now ranked higher than them. But Washington is a completely untested team. Will they win without Gabby playing? That is my big question for Washington. I, Kayla, I, I see you nodding over here on Zoom. What, do, what are you thinking about Washington without Gabby playing and their chances against Arizona this weekend? Yeah, well, Jen, let's do a little innings update for Gabby playing. So thus far in the season, she's thrown 76 innings. And comparatively, Kelly Lynch, who's really their number two pitchers, only thrown 33. I mean, that's less than half. And then you add the rest of their pitching staff. They've only thrown 72 innings. So, I mean, she's doubled what everybody else is doing by a long shot. So her workload is really intense. She's thrown in 16 out of their 22 games. So my question is, is you go play a four game series, you better hope either one of two things. Number one, that your offense scores huge amount of runs, which is going to be tough against an Arizona team. And this Washington offense is very good, but you got to hope that your offense gives you some run support because there is going to be opportunities for Arizona to put some runs up on the board because their ERAs past Gabby Plain are not that good, Amanda. Yeah. And you know what else surprised me? Great pitching stats that you talked about with Washington's potential pitching struggle behind Gabby Plain. But you guys, we usually think of Washington's defense as being one of the best defenses in the country. Their fielding percentage is only 957. They've made 27 errors. So I'm interested to see what you see, Michelle, when they go up against Arizona and, and we follow it this weekend is what's going on with their defense. And in return, this also surprised me. Arizona's defense has only made four errors with the 990 fielding percentage. So we think of Arizona with these big bats and big offense, and they have that, but I love the way that they're playing defense, particularly last weekend against Florida state, they've made those those four airs only this year, but I felt like Mariah Lopez and denim, they threw well. I mean, obviously they lost two of those games. Mariah Lopez was pac 12 pitcher of the week, but I thought that she really locked it down for that middle game for Arizona. And I, I like this Arizona defense, Jenny. I like their defense, but right now they've got to wake up their bats. That was the key to the losses that they faced when they were in Florida. Gianna Mancha for UCF came at them with the rise ball and really showed a weakness in their swings. I did not see them make adjustments throughout the game to lay off that pitch up in the zone. And then they went straight into Florida State with Kaylin Arnold's rise ball and did not make adjustments against that one as well. And so a weakness has emerged in the Arizona lineup. I think that Coach Candrea did not let that go untapped this week. I'm sure there was a lot of talk about how to stay tuned in on the strike zone. But for me, it's going to come down to discipline on the plate against a pitcher like Gabby Plain, who loves to dance the ball all around the zone. 
Yeah, JDH, to your point, um, the two, three, and four hitters for Arizona against Florida State, just uh, seven for 23, nine strikeouts. They did walk five times, but just two RBIs and one home run out of those power hitters. Typically, we expect to see a lot more on the flip side for Arizona, the very good defense you talked about, Amanda. They've turned 15 double plays so far this year, but this is going to be an interesting lineup uh, for Arizona and Washington. What do you say, Gentro? Well, I mean, Alyssa Palomino Cordoza, guys, she had seven of those nine strikeouts herself. She was over in that series. So to be honest, I look for her to just go on a tear this weekend. I hope I'm right because she's still hitting 327 going over in three games against FSU. But let's kick it over to LA, guys, because we have ASU versus UCLA, which is probably one of the highlight series of the weekend. Rachel Garcia is back. You have got the Hackbarth sisters who are coming in at number two and number four in conference batting average. And you've got Maddie Hackbarth going after the single season home run record, going to play in LA with 190 fences and pitchers that hum it at 70 miles per hour. So guys, I, I hate to say it against my alma mater, but I'm looking for Maddie Hackbarth to leave the yard and I'm going to have Bruins texting me like for a death wish, I'm sure. Um, but I want to talk about Brianna Perez, guys, because she's hitting the quietest 479 ever. And with Jesse Harper in the league, I never feel like she gets enough credit for what she does defensively for UCLA. There's no doubt in my mind that she's one of the leaders on that team. So my question for ASU is, can their pitchers hold off UCLA's offense? That's going to be the key for them taking any games this weekend, in my opinion. Amanda, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think that that's a really good point. And going back again to defense, I was really digging into the PAC's defensive stats because we've not gotten a chance to talk a lot about them. We know that they can score a lot of runs and we know that they have some good pitching over there. But UCLA's defense has played really well too. They've only made seven errors with a 981 fielding percentage. But back to the offense, Jen, this is what I, I also wrote down. They've run ruled six of their last seven opponents that they faced, UCLA has. So will ASU be able to shut down UCLA's offense will UCLA be able to shut down ASU's big offense who's hitting 388 as a team like almost 400 they're hitting as a team I think that this is going to be a really high powered matchup and I'm really really looking forward to it um, to be able to track it and watch it like I'm so excited for Pac-12 conference to get going all right. Well, that is the preview for the pack coming up. A lot of great matchups. So be sure to check out your local listings to find out when uh, when the games are on. I certainly am looking forward to calling that Arizona-Washington matchup. Why don't we go ahead and move down to number two on the lineup card. Talk a little bit about the SCC opening weekend. What do you got for us, Kayla, bro? Well, I don't know about you guys, but it was just so good to see a team play a familiar opponent for three games straight. Cause I think you can find out a lot about a program, about a team and kind of dig into deeper of who's really going to step up in big moments. Who's really going to come through in the circle, whatever it may be. You just find out a lot about a team during conference play. So that's why I'm excited about the pack starting. And we saw a lot in sec play last weekend and we had some historical moments in the sec, which I thought was really cool. Uh, Arkansas gets their first road sweep since 2009, they went into South Carolina. And Jenny, I know you have a lot of insight because you were able to call that game, but they looked really good. I think their offense is potent and they were short some players and had an opportunity for them to step up uh, from an offensive perspective because they were missing Hannah McEwen. And in the circle, they were missing Autumn Storms as well. So huge victories for Arkansas over the weekend. Uh, another historical performance on the weekend was Ole Miss swept Mississippi State for the first time in program history and it's their first sweep since 2017 so these teams are making some waves in that opening series I was so impressed I got to call all three games for Ole Miss I was so impressed with them as a team Anna Borgen in the circle set the tone from game one she was on fire. She went against a really tough offense that includes Fale, Lua, Mia Davidson, and frankly made them look stupid all weekend long. She was just, uh, she had them crossed in their mind and their brain, like their swing and their bodies weren't just like clicking at all. So uh, credit to Ole Miss and some huge run production from their entire offense them, that got them a big win. And then uh, the other one that I circle for sweeps is going to be uh, definitely the sweep of Bama at Auburn, Bailey Hemphill, Bailey Dowling came through for the tide, but you know, Jenny, going back to that Arkansas series, what was so impressive about the Razorbacks this weekend? 
with the Razorbacks, you know, you talked about the people that they're missing, the athletes that are so important to their lineup, the Hannah McEwens, their leadoff hitter, then Hannah Gamble breaks her hand in the midweek contest who had filled in for McEwen and was playing third base, and then Autumn Storms in the circle. The thing that they've been playing with, the mantra that they have is who we have is who we need. And I love that it's just been this, we're deep enough, we can handle this. And they came into South Carolina with a great game plan. The hiccups for South Carolina really, for me, were in the circle with um, Kelsey O did a really good job, but Kayla Drotar finally made it back in uniform during their midweek and then able to find her way into the circle on the weekend. Just miscues in the circle. And why in the world do you keep pitching to Braxton Burnside? I mean, every time she got up, it was like ping, ping, balls over the fence. And then she hits the first home run in game one to give them the lead and then hits another home run in that same game to give them the go-ahead run. So by game three, they pitched to her in her first at bat, home run. Then they decided not to throw to her anymore. So honestly, for me, it was amazing to watch the Braxton Burnside show just put runs up on the board. And then Mary Half, who really is going to have to carry a lot of innings for Arkansas in the circle, doing a really good job of just keeping the pace and being seen in every one of their games. I'm just one thing about Braxton Burnside is I don't think there's anyone in the country who swings harder than her. She does not get cut short guys at all. She just straight up hacks at pitches and it's so impressive to watch. Sorry, Michelle, what do you got? Oh, no, I um, just was going to say that, you know, if we look at the the midweeks also for the SEC this week, uh, just last night, Liberty took a 10 inning victory from Arkansas. So they had a lefty in the circle that did a great job of shutting down that really potent home run hitting offense of Arkansas. So, uh, you know, got to watch out for those lefties. We'll talk about that a little bit later down the lineup card, but Emily Kirby was just outstanding for Liberty. And how about Eastern Kentucky? They, uh, they lost to Kentucky last night as well, but it was a six to five game. And so, so that was a close one as well. Um, LSU took the series from Tennessee. Florida took the series from Kentucky. So a big opening weekend in the SEC. And let me um, update one, one thing real quick that I do love about the SEC. And we will talk about that moving in. That this weekend is um, the SEC is going to put together a campaign and it's called All for Alex. And it's uh, really a tribute to the legacy of Alex Wilcox, who passed away in 2018, um, member of the Mississippi State softball team. So I love the fact that once again, the entire league of 13 teams for the SEC is coming together to uh, to really pay tribute to ovarian cancer and to Alex Wilcox. And another note on that, her sister Cassidy Wilcox plays for the University of South Alabama. Uh, and if you remember uh, last week, sorry, bro, but uh, South Alabama did beat Alabama um, at NT Town uh, with an outstanding game. So uh, a lot of big things coming up, but why don't we go ahead now and move down to number three on the lineup card, talk a little bit about uh, upcoming games for the, um, the SEC as well as ACC, Big 10 and the Big 12. And so Amanda, can you help us out on a little bit of that? Lots to talk about with uh, a lot going on in those conferences. I think uh, I'll start with the ACC, Jenny. I know we're going to try to tackle this one together. Um, having just called Virginia Tech and NC State, um, you guys, uh, the most surprising thing, and there was a lot of takeaways because of the fact that the ACC is playing these four-game series and every game matters, um, of how teams will strategize with their pitchers. How many innings is Keely Rochard going to throw in ACC play? She threw three complete games through close to 400 pitches on the weekend, and that was with a couple of run rolls. So games got cut short. Um, something that stuck out to me about Virginia Tech, who remember they had just had 19 days off and hadn't played because of COVID protocols. So it was interesting to see them get better as the weekend went on. We hadn't really seen yet up to this point, a team go from having a COVID break, be completely off and then enter into games again to have anything to compare it to, to see how they would play, to see how long it took them to get going. I thought they looked maybe just a little bit rusty at, at at the beginning, but I thought it was their offense that really surprised me. The last two games, they had scored 29 runs in the last two games. And I think when we think of Virginia tech, we really think of their pitching staff and Keely Rochard, but this Virginia tech offense, in my opinion, is one to reckon with their last game. They hit eight home runs. 
they had one inning in the fifth inning, they hit five home runs, 16 batters reached the plate. Like it was one of the most unbelievable innings that I've ever witnessed with my own eyes. So, um, that's about that series. And then I know we have some, some Florida state, Arizona highlights too, to talk about as Florida state took that series. Jenny, what do you got? Well, I love that you and Mark Neely were on that call. And by the end, Mark Neely was like, and in that, it's so fun to hear his call because he could not believe how many balls were leaving the yard just in that one inning alone. But Jamie Bailey right now leading the batting average for Virginia Tech. I had a, the pleasure of coaching her in travel ball as she was growing up. And she is one of the toughest kids. I saw her dislocate and break her ankle hitting first base, and she was right back at it the very next year. One of the toughest kids I've ever been able to coach. And then Kelsey Bennett with five home runs of her own leading the offense. And so Virginia Tech, I'm, I know coaches always say they wish they had a chance to take a break in the season to practice more. But I think during a COVID year, everybody's like, no, put us back on the field. And Virginia Tech, really happy to be back out there. And then this weekend, I actually will be in the ACC calling the Duke-Syracuse series. And so I'll have three of those four games, Peyton St. George right now, two complete game wins over Virginia the last week. She is the player or the pitcher of the week in the ACC this week. She had 21 strikeouts or she had, she is 21 strikeouts away from the program season record that she set herself in 2018. Um, they're on a 13 game win streak, but for me, Deja Davis at the top of the lineup for Duke is the tone setter for them. She's hitting 450 with four home runs. Their only loss right now is to Notre Dame. So an ACC opponent. And for me, Duke right now sitting at the top of the ACC is just rolling. Yeah. All they've done is win 13 in a row. Um, and they had that walk off too by Caroline Jacobson in the ninth inning. So I feel like Duke is a team that's playing really well. Um, Michelle, I know that you mentioned the big 12 also talk about, uh, within this inning, something that kind of flew under the radar was the fact that Oklahoma state lost to Houston. This is a Houston team that can play really well at times. And then other times they're getting run ruled by teams that and beat by teams that maybe they shouldn't be losing to. So I don't really know how to take that loss other than the fact that we think of Oklahoma state as a top five, top 10 team this year. And they lost to Houston, Jen. Are you guys trying to rub this in? <laughs> All right, go ahead, Jen. Go ahead. You were just trying to let that one sneak under the radar and have us not talk about it on this week's episode. Um, you guys remember we had Kristen Vesley on this show a few weeks back after Houston faced Oklahoma. And when Houston faced Oklahoma, although the score didn't really uh, – credit the actual matchup Houston played Oklahoma tough they scored first against them this is an Oklahoma team that averages I don't know a million runs a game and so for me Amanda just like what you said is Houston good are they okay are they bad I I, I can't I have no idea but more so does it help us really understand what type of team what type of team Oklahoma State is? That's the bigger question. And how is that loss going to impact them? Are they going to come back and sweep the next series? Or is that loss going to be something that kind of lingers throughout the year? It's a really good test for the Cowgirls. And you're right. When it comes to the selection committee, right? They they look about they look at really good wins, but they look at bad losses. And that definitely probably has to be categorized as a bad loss, right, Amanda? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, wanted to cover just one other thing that's happening in the Big 12 is the fact that Texas plays Louisiana t uh, Thursday in a doubleheader. Um, that game should have actually been played in Lafayette, but there was some bad weather that is headed towards that area of the country. And so they actually rescheduled the games last minute to be played in Austin. Both coaches fully understanding that they've had a lot of rainouts, weathered out games. They have to get those games in. And I talked to Jerry Glasgow just before this, uh, just before us recording this podcast. Podcast, he's really looking these as at these games as series define or excuse me um as year defining or just super important games for his program of just regional hosting regional implications if they could win two games maybe win one game he feels like those wins, especially headed towards Sunbelt play would be just defining games, uh, for his team and being able to secure a regional host, but maybe they lose two, maybe they win one. It's going to be really, really good matchups between Texas and Louisiana, both of being able to see what 
each team has, like how, how are they going to play against each other? And will Louisiana be able to pull out at least one win? Yeah. I mean, I, when I see that matchup, I don't know why it just triggers something for me is I can see that being a super regional down the road and being electric. And so how important is it for these teams early on in the season? You know, we talked about LSU having a a tough strength of schedule, Arizona having a tough strength of schedule. How does that impact these teams down the road when they do go play in that three game series that they have to take two of three to advance to a women's college world series. I think that's going to be huge. And what a a learning opportunity early in the season, especially for Louisiana, because let's be honest, the Sunbelt, while it's getting better and it's getting more challenging, isn't as good as playing a team like Texas. So I think it's a really good opportunity for that team to see, especially after they played Oklahoma state and LSU to see where they're at. And then there's one other conference that we need to make sure that we touch on. And that's the big 10. When you look at the Big Ten, they don't even play this weekend. And so for me, what does that time off look for them? And we've touched on it a couple of times in former podcast, but there has been so much time off. My question to each of you is, what does more time off do to a team that's just hungry to play? Well, that's, I think that's a really good point. Um, JDH time off means practice time. You get better on the practice field, but you don't really always gain a lot of experience on the practice field. And I think that's where it's going to hurt the big 10 teams when we get into uh, the postseason. I mean, really they've only played themselves. They're not going to have a chance for RPIs, you know, to really increase. So what does that mean? It means more than likely any of them that do end up making the regional tournament are going to be on the road and it's, it's going to be a tough haul, but yeah. So uh, I noticed that as well. No games for the big 10. I'll go ahead and recap sec. Some of the best matchups coming up is going to be Tennessee at Alabama, Mizzou, UGA, Texas, A&M, LSU. I'm excited for that one. At uh, AM having a, a great year, very young team, but looking forward to, to seeing them go in and play a very strong LSU team. And the ACC, North Carolina, Florida State, Clemson, Louisville, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech. That'll be a good one. And of course, we talked about Duke, Syracuse. Uh, no Big Ten games. Um, and we talked about the Big 12 with uh, that conference not starting play yet. And that rolls us into number four on the lineup card, the Sooners. They've been booming, um, but when do they lose? What do you guys think, ladies? They play a three-game series with Team Mexico this weekend at home, which I think will be interesting and challenging. Obviously, that won't count against the record. They're really going up the 19, against the 1992 UCLA Bruins, 54-2, right? Best record ever in NCAA softball. Do the Sooners lose this year? What do you think, JDH? Well, when it comes to me, they had a uh, tough matchup with Liberty. It was a 5-4 to four win, and they won it off of a wild pitch. Jada Coleman in that game went 3-for-3. Three three. She was the hottest hitter in Oklahoma's lineup, but Liberty, Liberty gave them a scare. And I don't know if any of us would have tabbed that game as the one that would have beat Oklahoma. And so right now, for me, I think their next toughest matchup Outside of Team Mexico, which will probably that doesn't count on their record, right? So when it comes to their next toughest matchup, I see it being Texas, which is April 16th. And then the Bedlam series is always unpredictable at the end of the year in conference play for me. They are going to go to um, UGA on April 20th and play a doubleheader. That will be an interesting matchup for sure, but um, it, it is going to be an interesting rest of the year for the Sooners. What do you think, Amanda? Yeah. I mean, just taking a look at their schedule, Jenny mentioned the three games against team Mexico, and then they play what's usually the teams that are at the bottom of the big 12, Iowa state first, and then Kansas and then Wichita. And then finally they play Baylor. Jenny mentioned those games against Texas is possibly that's the weekend that, that Texas is able to knock off Oklahoma. Maybe it's Baylor, but when they play Texas, they're playing at home. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, they're going to feel really good about those games. So I don't know. I mean, honestly, looking at their schedule, they might not lose. I, I mean, I don't think that that's that out of the question that they go undefeated this season. Amanda, I could not agree more with you. Uh, now, here's here's to say, I won't be surprised if they drop a game to Texas or right. Oklahoma State. It wouldn't surprise me, yeah. but they could go undefeated. Here's what's scary about their lineup right now. If you were actually tracking Patty Gasso's lineup to lineup, in the beginning of the season, she was changing her lineup almost every game. 
If you look at their last four games, it's pretty much the same. They have moved Taylor Snow to first base. Kinsey Hansen is now catching. Elam is not catching at all. She's their DP. And she has solidified a stagnant lineup. That is scary, guys, because normally you drop a game when there's different lineups, when you're trying to figure it out. It seems like they really have something rolling right now, Kayla. I think the other thing to look at, we talked about this uh, last week after Arizona lost to UCF. You know, we talked about like kind of waking a sleeping giant and how would Arizona respond and how pissed off are they going to be when they go play in their next game? And unfortunately, they had a really tough schedule. But I think for Oklahoma and typical of a Patty Gasso team is if they lose one game, you sure as heck believe like they're going to come ready to go. And I know we thought that was what was going to happen with Arizona, but I mean, they couldn't make the adjustments they needed to. But this Oklahoma team that is as loaded as they are one through nine that really isn't just stuck on having one superstar come through or two superstars come through. I mean, they are just loaded with talent. So I think if they do lose down the road one game, I think the next two games are like run, roll, run, roll, and they're going to go take it out on some teams. It's going to be, it's going to be ugly. Yeah. And they're just a complete uh, team all the way around. Shannon Sell, Nicole May, G. Juarez, their three big arms in the circle. They walk twice as much as they strike out a 450 plus Team batting average, team batting average. They lead the NCAA in home runs and the top four home run hitters in the NCAA, three of them are Sooners, Allo Jennings, Hanson, Allo with 19, Jennings with 14, Hanson with 13. Oh, and by the way, Kenzie Hanson has yet to strike out this year. And of course, the the rounding out that- um, Well, don't jinx my girl. Kenzie's Ah, my girl. She was like 10, (laughs) don't jinx her. All right. All right. Well, I'll reel that back in. I'll reel that back in. Uh, and and the, the other top four is, is Braxton Burnside, who we know we've been talking about with the Razorbacks. So those are their top four home run hitters in the NCAA. So it will be interesting to track the Sooners as the season goes on. So why don't we go ahead and move down now to Women's History Month. And we have a couple of outstanding athletes who have talked about women who have impacted their lives. I want to give a special thank you to the women who inspired me most in this sport. Number one being my big sister, Dina Tyson-Sly. Thank you for being my hero and making me fall in love with softball. Secondly, Rhonda Revelle. Rhonda, thank you for giving me an opportunity and believing in me when it was really hard to do so. Peaches James for being on that mound and making me believe I could be a black pitcher in Division I softball. Obviously, Natasha Watley for being every little black girl's hero. Uh, Sue Inquist for being such a powerful woman at an early age and creating something so special, we all wanted to be a part of it. And Teresa Wilson for being the first coach that made me fall in love with college softball and inspired me to be a pitching coach. Thank you women so much for making me who I am. Happy Women's Month. I am Delaney Spalding from Team USA. I've been very blessed to have some strong, wonderful women in my life from my mom to my three older sisters. They really have paved the way for me and have been just an amazing example. And I'm very grateful that I have them to look up to. So I love you guys so much. Hi, Natasha Watley here, a Bruin alum, two-time Olympian, and the woman who impacts me the most, hands down, Sue Enquist. Sue Enquist has been one of my biggest life motivators. Um, I think someone who can motivate you and make you feel like you can walk on water is a very, very special individual. Um, For me, it it transcends beyond um, the softball field. She not only taught me how to hit a curveball and how to field a backhand forehand, but she taught me how to compete. Um, how to be a woman off the field. And for me, um, the lessons that I've learned from her that transcend beyond the softball field are invaluable. And for that, I am forever indebted to Sue Inquist. BMO and Horo are actually covering basketball this week. So that's why uh, they're, they're not with us and uh, we're taking over. I, I, I can't wait for BMO to get back for next week though. So she can uh, get back into the hosting, um, <laughs> the, the hosting position. It'd be like me uh, coming in and, and, and catching for and saying, Schroeder, I'm going to come catch. I like when you're a pitcher, you just pitch, you don't catch. Right. So, <laughs> but Michelle, I think on the podcast, it is just like with the rest of the country, who we have is who we need and you are filling in great. All right. All right, ladies. We're a good team. We're a good team. And and so, of course, that's going to roll us right into number six on the lineup card. And we're going to give some lefty love. All right. Talking about those left-handed arms this year that have 
created some havoc with the within the NCAA softball uh, field. So Amanda, we've been chatting a lot about uh, some of the big arms. Um, why don't we go ahead and go through some of the lefties that have impressed you so far this year? Yeah, you know, I think one that's not a big name, like we usually talk or that is usually at the top of the list is Molly Jacobson of Texas and how she's been able to go into Texas's program and quickly become their number one, become their ace, become their most reliable pitcher. And the thing, the great thing about Molly too, Michelle, is that she's been able to be a starter. She's come into close games, bases loaded. Mike White will put her in any situation and trust her. And do you guys remember whenever she pitched against Ole Miss, you know, her, her uh, former team, she wanted that. She asked for the ball to pitch against her old team. And that to me was like, okay, Molly Jacobson, like I'm on your train right now because of the fact that you want the ball against the people that probably know you the best out of anybody in the country. So She's one that comes to mind. And Kayla, do you have something on Molly too? Uh, no, but you oh. mentioned Ole Miss. So it just piques Sorry. my interest of another incredible lefty, but continue. I know who you're going to say here, go. <laughs> uh, Anna Borgen. And by the way, I thought for a second that this was going to be about lefty slappers. I'm kind of confused that we're talking about, I'm just kidding. Oh. Hey now, <laughs> come on. <laughs> uh, no, Anna Borgen, uh, speaking of Ole Miss, uh, she had just an incredible weekend and she's been lights out all season long. Uh, she has not allowed a run in 34 innings, you guys. It, it's just been really impressive. And she went up against a tough Mississippi State team. She threw one complete game shutout. She had two saves. So when the team needed her most, Coach Jamie Traxel was like, I want the ball to go to Anna Borgen. She's earned that. She earned it in game one. And in those two saves, she got like put in in difficult situations with runners on board no outs and she absolutely shut them down. So a huge performance. She's got a beautiful curveball, a nice off speed and she really brings it from the left side. But uh, Amanda, what else you got? I, I took, I, I was so excited about Ole Miss. You said it and I just raised my hand. No, well, I didn't know. It's hard to tie. I didn't know if you wanted to add on to Molly or if you're going to go the Anna route, because I mean, she's throwing unbelievable. Like, and you bragged on her the entire weekend too. Like she just threw so great and she looked confident. Uh, Michelle, the other couple of, of uh, lefties that I have written down is of course, G Juarez at Oklahoma, who feels like she's been around for forever. I don't know if anybody else feels that way. Um, and I got to give a little love to the lefty at AM, Kelsey Brodus, who transferred from Boise state has a no hitter, uh, earlier this year. She's thrown well for them, Been a yeah, good addition. Absolutely. Kelly Maxwell has been doing a great job for Oklahoma state. I think she came out of nowhere. Uh, and so she's been some given some, some good innings to Kenny Gajewski and company uh, back to your point about G Juarez, Amanda, she right now with her statistics, she's striking out about 20 batters for every one walk she gives up. And so when you start looking at pitchers that are not putting people on base. They're not relinquishing those free passes. It just makes them so much harder to hit. Of course, we've got uh, Megan Bobian in the Big Ten. We talked about Emily Kirby with that big win against Arkansas last night. Did a lot of damage against that very powerful lineup with a strike uh, strikeout um, rise ball that was striking out the hitters, curveball that was just outstanding as well. So a lot of, lot of lefty love, lefty um, love. And Jen, what do you got to add? Guys, one name that you didn't bring up is Brooke Yanez from Oregon. She is killing it, guys. And this is a transfer from UC Davis. So this is someone who didn't compete in the Power Five, who's now coming in, you know, to Oregon the last couple of years. But when I look at, you know, a Melissa Lamar teaching staff, normally there's a pretty good staff, especially at a developing team like Oregon. Brooke Yanez has pitched over 44 of their innings. The next highest is 19. So it'll be interesting to see how that translates into a four game pack series. We've been talking about it a lot, but Brooke Yanez guys is just tearing it up. Yeah. Yanez has been outstanding. Jordan Dale, who did a lot of pitching last year for Oregon is also on that staff. Hasn't thrown as many innings. And I think another name we should mention is Claire Davidson. She is the first Duke left-handed pitcher in that program history, which I find pretty interesting here in their in their fourth year. So that's a little bit of lefty love much to bros demise that it is not about the slappers. It is about the pitchers, but um, always wanting to give some lefty love. Why don't we go ahead and move down to number seven on the lineup and we're going to go to the Twitterverse. and Amanda's going to run us through some questions that uh, some of our fans have been asking. So why don't you take it away, Amanda? Yeah, I think that this will be uh, really good. So drew from Millport, Alabama, who, 
surprise, surprise, as an Alabama fan. Uh, his question is, who do y'all see as the up and coming coach who will be named among the greatest when it's all said and done? So an up and coming coach who has potential to be one of the greats. What do you guys think? I'll jump in real quick. Um, how about Marisha Young from Duke? I think she's done an outstanding job starting that program. Came in a year early to help build the program, um, get that Duke program on track. But really think about it. It's their fourth year. They're a top 20 team. They're leading the um, ACC this year. Uh, just I think it's a fun program. I think she's a good young coach that really has made her mark. You can also talk about the Beth Torinas who, you know, at LSU has just been outstanding. Um, but there's a lot of good young women that are in our game that are going to continue to to help lead forward. Yeah, I like Courtney Diefel too from Arkansas. I think that, you know, she inherited a program that, you know, for the last you know, 10, 15 years, they were a pretty automatic, easy sweep. It was a, a, not a good series for them when they played in the SEC. It was just, it was an easy one. So what she's done is she did a few things that I think really well, I think first and foremost, she got in her first couple of years, she got some really big key wins and that started to transition the program. Then she picked up some big time transfers and then you get your recruits in. And those are all signs to me that you can kind of get your team moving in the right direction as you step-by-step step, go through the process of, okay, what do I need to do right now? What do I need to do in two years to get us uh, moving a little bit quicker with the transfers like a Danielle Gibson from Arizona state. And then boom, Braxton Burnside, by the way, is also a transfer into that program. And then finally you get your recruits in and then you establish yourself as a really strong team in the SEC. And I think she's thrown some good stuff. What do you see, Jen? And I think what we forget about Courtney Diefel is she's a national champion from Cal Berkeley. She's someone who led an incredible staff as a catcher. I'm completely biased here when I think that catchers make great leaders. I really do. But more than that, from a personal perspective, she obviously coached my little sister. And I will say that she didn't just change her as a player, but she changed her life as a person. And that's what Courtney Diefel is doing for the Arkansas Razorbacks is she's impacting them both on and off the field. And I think it makes all of the difference. So I completely agree with you, Kayla. Courtney Diefel will be the next big coach. And I also think Larissa Anderson at Missouri has stepped in and changed a culture and brought in hope and just absolutely turned that program around. Missouri had seen success prior to Anderson's arrival on campus. So it wasn't success that needed to be changed. It was lives that needed to be changed. And I think Larissa Anderson came in and was able to give that hope. She was just able to wrap up her 200th career head coach win. And so a great nod to her, but also just love to see the culture that she has created at Missouri and the kind of women that she is empowering to not just be good softball players, but good leaders as well. Yeah. And I think an, another really good name to throw in there is Missy Lombardi at Oregon. I mean, she is a coach who for many years was kind of the, the wind beneath the wings for Patty Gasso, right? She was that all-time just committed assistant coach that stayed with that program for a long time, ventures out now on her own, um, had some adversity in her first year or two at Oregon, but has just really turned things around. So I think that's, a, that's another name. Amanda, what do you got? Well, how about Michelle with the Bette Midler reference, Wind Beneath My Wings? I hadn't heard that one since I watched the Beaches movie, which is a great movie, by the way. Um, okay, so let's go Sid from Tally, who, surprise, surprise, is an FSU fan, wants to know what are some surprising, unexpected things that you guys have come up against uh, from calling games at home? What positives or what have you found by like not being able to chart, not spending as much time traveling. Kayla, what have you thought of the, the whole games at home thing that we've been calling all these games from right inside our home offices? Yeah, well, I can tell you right now, especially for me, it saves a heck of a lot of travel time. Yeah. Just flying from <laughs> Oregon, basically to the South every single weekend. Uh, no, that's really nice. Um, it, it's been, uh, I had my first weekend this past weekend of calling, we did a three game series and uh, you learn a lot from having monitors versus being in person. You learn what you have to look for. That was kind of just automatic when you looked out the window of the press box as, oh, I can see where the outfielders are. I don't have to look at one specific screen or I can see what's going on in the dugout. I can see what the coaches are talking about. I can see the momentum or energy that you're getting from the field. And that's something that you definitely don't see at home. But hey, I, I got to say for my first weekend, Super impressed with the level of production that we're getting from home, though. I think it's been fantastic 
the fact that we're being able to call games in a safe home environment and any way we can call games is great. What's been your experience like, Jenny? Well, I just have to give a huge shout out to the control rooms on these campuses that have taken on, I mean, so much work. And so for me, I have to give them praise because my ser- my game this weekend with South Carolina and Arkansas, they did a great job. And our producer, not someone we've ever worked with before, but just absolutely did a great job of directing traffic and keeping us where we need to be. I'll say one of the hardest things for me being at home you know, I don't have kids at home anymore. They've all, they're all in college. And so our house is really quiet, which I thought would be great. Right. But there are so many little kids in my neighborhood that I had to put like a sign on the front door that said, please don't knock on the door or ring the doorbell game. In progress. <laughs> and then I started worrying, holy cow, these kids may not even be able to re- read. Like they just want to co- me to come out and play. So that was one of the things that I had to worry about. Um, and then to keep my husband out of the room because he thought it was so cool to just see how it all was with the monitors and the cameras and all the different laptops we had up. And so, um, so fun to have more family time, but also really tricky to navigate. Um, Jen, what are you, <laughs> you've got Rudy at home, you're not calling games, but what's it like having so much more time at home? For me, it's just really cool to watch you guys do what you do on the road. Like I think that as a fan, cause I'm watching as a fan, right? And I'm seeing what's happening, knowing you guys are at home. And I don't think that other fans realize what's going on. All the monitors you mentioned, not being able to see where the outfielders are positioned or if the batter's crowding the plate or conversations that maybe you're watching coaches have with players. You, you can't see that from a monitor. So it's really impressive watching you guys develop your craft and seeing all the producers get really creative with, with what they're bringing on television. It's pretty cool, guys. There's a lot of fun stuff that uh, goes along with it. I think it's amazing. If you look at the first game that we did, it was uh, Kansas at LSU. I called that game with Beth Moen. She was in San Diego. I was in Florida. Our producer was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the game was going on in Baton Rouge. When you really think of the technology and the way we're able to do this, it is pretty amazing. What do you have, Amanda? Well, I, I, let's just do one more, uh, but just quick rundown of like what our schedule is like on game day, because I felt like people might think that that's interesting. So six hours before game time, we have have to turn on our equipment and then part of our equipment is a laptop that we have that essentially somebody that's in a different part of the country just completely takes over and, and gets everything ready for the broadcast. So six hours before we're in charge of turning it on, then three hours before game time, we hop on headsets and make sure that all the audio is working great and we can all communicate and talk with each other. And then about an hour before game time, We get, we come back into our equipment and kind of look at all the graphics, any video packages that we have that we might see in game. And everybody gets on the same page about all of the just great extra fluff for Michelle's word um, of what we might, of what you might see in the game. So I thought that kind of schedule might be interesting for people to know, Michelle. Yeah, it's a, it, it, there is not running for airplanes and uh, all the yeah. worries that you have with the travel, but the, but there is the making sure your unit, especially if you have a day game, I've, I've had times where I've had to turn my unit on at like 6am. So, and I'm like, Hmm, do I get up and turn it on or do I just leave it on overnight? But then you're like, okay, but someone could access my entire home network overnight. So I'm like, maybe I'll just set my alarm early and get up and, <laughs> and turn it on. It, it is interesting when you really start to dive into everything. Amanda, what else? Are there any more questions from the Yeah, Twitterers? yeah, we have a lot. So if you guys are listening, you follow us on Twitter, let's try to answer a few questions every week that, because I know that people have a lot of different opinions or they look at the game in a different way that can kind of stretch us and be like, oh, we've never thought of that. Or let's think about this and get an answer. So uh, the closer from Orlando, who's a longtime listener, first time caller, uh, wants to ask or know, who do you feel is the best non-Power 5 conference in softball, Michelle? I'm going to jump in and I'm going to say the American Athletic Conference, the AAC. They have the University of South Florida, Houston, who just beat Oklahoma State. Okay, let me take the dagger out again. Uh, (laughs) Tulsa, Wichita State, ECU, UCF, who beat Arizona. So when you look at the AAC, that's a conference that does a lot of damage. I think that there's a very strong possibility a couple of those clubs get into – into the regionals, you know, they're going to have their one AQ, but they've got some uh, pretty good, pretty good programs that if they do show up in a regional can definitely do some damage. Another conference outside of power five Sunbelt. Uh, I think it's, it's obviously Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns. You have Texas state 
and South Alabama, who's been really good this year, those teams are typical teams that constantly make the tournament and make the NCAA regionals year after year. So that's a, that's another good non power five conference to watch. Speaking of Texas state, Michelle, I lied. I have one more because Texas state wanted to know the question they sent in, do we like hard shell or soft shell tacos? This is a must ask and must answer for everybody on the pod, Michelle. Okay. Well, uh, I'm just going to preface when I was younger, it was definitely soft, but now I have to say hard shell. That's my opinion. Okay. I think that my hips and butt like soft tacos, (laughs) but (laughs) But my heart and stomach like hard shell tacos. All right. I got to go with, I'm going to be specific, soft shell corn. So not flour, but soft shell corn tortillas are the best for tacos. All right. And I'll follow that up. I'm a soft shell flour. I love the soft. So it looks like we've got the whole gamut on this call, but um, I grew up with hard shell in Southern California. That was my go-to, but as I've gotten older, maybe it's just teeth. I don't know. Call me grandma, but I love those soft shells. Well, and and I, one point about the soft shell is that if you have floss after you eat them, then I agree. They're very good. Amanda, what do you got? <laughs> I like hard shell, but I don't discriminate against any taco being in Texas. Just like I don't discriminate really against any red wine. So um, I like all tacos. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Amanda, thanks for uh, taking over and um uh, allowing us to answer some Twitterverse uh, questions. So if you have any, again, follow us on all at seven innings podcast on the social medias, and we'd be glad to answer your questions from week to week. Well, guess what, ladies, it's our favorite time. It is number eight in the lineup spot. It's time to shag some stats. This week on shagging stats. All right. Who's jumping in first? What do we got? I'll take it, Michelle. So my shag and stat this week actually has a name that you mentioned earlier. My number's 10. There are 10 hitters in the country with without a strikeout. No strikeouts for those 10 hitters with at least 25 at-bats. You mentioned Oklahoma's Kinsey Hansen did not have one. She actually leads the country with 64 at-bats and no strikeouts. Texas has Janae Jefferson with 57 at-bats. But let me give a little love to the Mideastern Athletic Conference Howard University's Camille Navarro, 45 at-bats, no strikeouts. Okay, well, on the other side of that, talking about hitters with no strikeouts, I'm going to go to actually Ole Miss team's ERA on their 11-game win streak, 0.67 for a team ERA and winning 11 games in a row. And that stretch, nine walks their staff has given up. That's it. Kayla? Yeah, I'm going to go back to the offense. I was looking at the top RBI leaders in the country, and it's pretty like obvious when you look at the top 12 producers, Arkansas and Oklahoma basically own half of the top 12. So they have six hitters combined that are leading the country in, in RBI. So Jocelyn Allo comes at, and at number one. Then you have TRA Jennings, Braxton Burnside, Danielle Gibson, Kinsey Hansen, and Grace Lyons, all from either OU or Arkansas. Jen, I think I mentioned a name that you might be talking about in there. So what's your stat today? You are right, Kayla. Okay, 3.3 is the number. Jocelyn Olo, she is averaging a home run every 3.3 at-bats. Wild. I can't can't even imagine hitting a home run every three at-bats, guys. Like, I I don't know. Michelle, how would you feel if you were one of the pitchers uh, having (laughs) to face that hitter? (laughs) Uh, I might would just walk her. So I would not be included in that stat, but again, it walks don't count as official at bat. So her 3.3 would stay as it is. Yeah. Aloe doing a lot of damage as the entire Oklahoma lineup is. I'm going to go with the flip side of that. When you don't give up a home run, it's going to be shutouts. And my number is 11. So my shagging stat 11 shutouts for Texas A&M's pitching staff this year. Whoop. Whoop, whoop. All right. The fighting Scarboroughs. Amanda's very happy about it. And Amanda, what's that? Is there a bobblehead behind you? Who is that? Is that? Yeah. That's coach Joe. Yeah. There she is. She's smiling at you. She approves so, of the, sh- of the shutouts. She's she nodding. Approves. Yeah, that's right. Of the 11 <laughs> shutouts. So there we are. Those are our shagging stats. That was shagging stats. So ladies, that brings us to number nine on the lineup card. And it is the always much debated player of the week. So Who's, who's going to jump in first? Who, who do we have uh, up for player of the week? What do you got, Jen Schroeder? 
Okay, so Jenny Dalton Hill had to leave to get on a production call. So I'm her voice right now. It's the Jen and Jenny show. And she's fighting for Braxton Burnside, guys. 15 bombs in total on the year. She hit three in opening weekend in the SEC. She sits number two all-time in Arkansas's record for single-season home runs. She's going to break that record. She hit 427 this week. So our vote is for Braxton Burnside. We're going to call the hogs. Woo! Okay, go Amanda. <laughs> I'm going to head to Orlando and Gianna Mancha for the week that she had. She threw three games, 20 scoreless innings, only allowed seven hits, no runs, you guys, in the in her outings. And she struck out 30. And, you know, she is the pitcher that beat the number two team in the country, not just beat them. She struck them out. She got that win against Arizona and that midweek loss for Arizona against UCF. I got to give some love. I, I'd never thought I would, you know, be so adamant about giving a pitcher a player of the week, but I just got to watch three games straight of Anna Borgen this weekend. And I was just all on board, uh, including her win against South, South Alabama in the midweek. She comes with two wins on the weekend, two saves. She's only given up four hits, no runs. And like I said earlier, she's got that like 34 inning scoreless streak, no big deal, but she was just solid. And I think for Ole Miss, she's the reason that they got historically, she did something historic. She helped them get their first sweep against Mississippi state. So that's why she stands out for me. All right, Michelle, it's up to you to decide between the three of our nominees. It's going to come down to what you think. What do you, what do you say? Well, oh, I'm lefty pitcher, Michelle. <laughs> Wait, does Anna's Monday performance count for the past week though? Cause I think it counts for this coming week. Uh, I think it, I mean, like the SEC gave it to her for their, her, her picture oh, of the okay, week. Okay. It, that, that still counts in that last week. I don't know. She did, she <laughs> for the did. seven it, innings week. I don't know. Well, I thought it was interesting because you're right. She did get the, um, she did get the picture of the week. How about, did you guys notice SEC had the newcomer of the week Alabama's Lexi Kilfoyle? I, I thought that was interesting. I hadn't really seen the whole bunch of the newcomer of the week. So I, I thought that was very interesting, but I noticed that right, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's for, it's for, I think it really was, um, I was talking to the Kentucky SAD about it. I think it is for freshmen who didn't actually get to play in their freshman year in the SEC. So they kind of came up with this new award that they've never had before. Like Lexi Kilfoyle was a true freshman last year. She right. won newcomer of the week this year. So I think that's kind of, yeah. and maybe it could be for some transfers too. Sorry. Kind of the, the buffer. I, I agree. I, th I think it is a, is a great um, addition to it, but um, I think I'm actually going to have to go with the lefty pitcher, Anna Borgen, mostly because Braxton Burnside had to share her SEC player of the week as a co-player of the week with Alabama's Bailey Hemphill, who did a lot of damage against Auburn. So, and I agree. Maybe I'm a little biased and I'm just getting yeah, back at y'all for giving me a hard time about Oklahoma State losing to Houston. No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, all of those athletes had an outstanding week. It's always fun to debate and talk about their statistics. Um, but there you go, folks. We are through our seven innings podcast for the week. We're looking forward to having BMO and Horo back with you but thanks for joining us on the at seven innings podcast